0: I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. I am so excited to have Morgan Wider here with me today. Morgan is the author of The Worthy Wardrobe, Your Guide to Style, Shopping, and Soul. And with a decade of leadership experience at major retail giants, Morgan has turned her love of clothes and hard-earned life lessons into a wardrobe styling consulting firm. When she's not transforming lives through closet revamps and shopping trips, she's facilitating insightful and inspiring executive style workshops around the country. And she has been talking a lot recently about what she calls image bias, which we're going to really get into today. So Morgan, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Jill. I'm excited to be virtually here and have this conversation.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your, your background, how you got to be where you are and, and like, like right up until the birth of image bias in your brain. And then, okay. we'll, and then we can take it from there.
1: Okay, right up until the birth. I thought you were going to say the birth of me. <laughs> uh, I thought I wanted to go to law school. I was an econ major at Georgetown um, and realized that LSAT at that time was not for me. So I spent ten, and up ultimately 10 years in the corporate retail space. So I worked at companies like The Gap, Eminent Republic, and I loved the making of clothes and the decisions that went into how a customer chose clothes. I love being in the stores and I love, always love shopping, which when I got corporate burnout and I know that, you know, this experience of, of being in a place where you're just exhausted and tired. And I found meditation and I said, there has to be a new way of living. I decided to take the image consulting personal stylist route. So I launched my own business and was able to then be in the stores and really get back in touch with why women, made the decisions that they made to shop and how i can help them make better ones and help them feel better about themselves and while i was doing that as a new entrepreneur i said i need to go find where my client is i love working with women like me professional women so i'm going to start hosting workshops started hosting workshops at small real estate offices um, small associations and then decided oh i'm kind of good at this Uh, i should do this professionally as a speaker And that then led to a speaker being asked if I had a book. And I said, you know, I need to write a book. And I was founded with someone, a professor who's amazing at my alma mater, who has a program to help us write a book. And I told him, well, you know, I'm a speaker. I talk about image and clothes all the time. I'll just put a presentation into a book. And he said, Well, yeah, you could write a commercial for your business or you could become a thought leader in this space. And writing The Worthy Wardrobe for me was that challenge of how do I really get people to think differently about clothes and about themselves? And writing that book and having uh, conversations with people, I put a post on social media and was able to interview over 70 professional women, most of whom I didn't know about their journey and about what style and clothing and confidence how that all collided in the workplace and a lot of that involved race and involved um gender and biases in all these ways which then led into you know my book came out in august of 2020 and right around that was kind of the time that our nation has been exposed to all different kinds of things so this is the work that i was doing and in the conversations i was having around image and then the DNI conversations and focuses that are happening in companies all collided into this perfect storm for me of a space to have these conversations.
0: That's so powerful. I love how the, the, syn- the synchronicity of it, just kind of bringing it all together, led to this very um, authentic new area for you to be. Discovering and guiding
1: people through. Yeah. And I absolutely, I've always believed um, in all the work that I do is that whatever one person is going through, whether it's myself on a singular level, there's still a greater cultural context of why, or you're never alone. So my book is part of my story, but then also a lot of the different simila- similarities of other women I interviewed. But then also when one woman's choice of how she gets stressed to go to work in the morning is also a greater reflection of a lot of cultural societal things like a lot of things collide in a woman's closet when she walks in there and chooses to get dressed each morning
0: so what are some of those examples
1: you know there's things when we get dressed especially i'm a black female um but any type of woman the obvious thing is how you feel about your body right um when i go into my closet Ooh, these pants aren't fitting me right. Ooh, do I like myself because I now can't fit these pants, or what's wrong with me because I now can't fit these pants? I'm not the woman I used to be because I'm not. I can't quite fit those pants. Or who's is it? My kid's fault or my husband's fault that I can't fit these pants? That body issues number one come down come out. Two, for some women, especially black women, it's can I wear this and am I being too much? I'm already the only one, so this is gonna draw too much attention to me. A woman that I um, do some work with mentioned, told a story of she was scared to wear red pants to the first time she was visiting an out-of-state office because she was the only black woman. And were they gonna say, who's this black girl in the red pants? So that became a thing. Um, Then there is the, with women, all women I'm learning with our hair choices. Do I, am I okay to wear my hair for Black women? It's natural versus relaxed versus wigs versus braids, but for even white women, do I, some women who have curly hair, so feel like they have to straighten their hair. All of these things collide in how we choose to get dressed. Um, another a woman told me she was working on Wall Street and purposely was wearing baggy pants so that the men would stop commenting on her butt. So, yeah that's a lot that we, that subconsciously we think about when we get dressed and a lot of it has to go do with race.
0: That's so powerful. And we don't really think about it. It's just kind of happens subconsciously, but then you're like, okay, sexy, but not too sexy. And like, exactly. Not too masculine and Mm -hmm. all of those things. Yeah. So, so I wonder, so when did the, how did the term image bias come to you? And when did you um, start really talking about it and, and how do you see that play out specifically for Black women?
1: So the image bias term came by accident because um, right around after the George Floyd murders, I, um, I hosted a virtual book club. Um, and I met with these women weekly. They were, these were women that got sneak peeks to my book. And that week after the murders, um, I was writing, finishing up some of the edits. And uh, one of the women who was an executive at a, at a big time bank wore her hair curly on that call. And I was like, oh, this is new. And she said, yeah, this is a a purposeful shift for me straightening my hair and how, again, all of that collides. And that led me to adding um, a part in the book about how your hair choices and the Crown Act and all of that collide in the professional space. And then fast forward to after the book came out, um, I read that section on a video and posted it on LinkedIn. And a couple of companies reached out for me to have that conversation about image and race, and I said, "Oh like i 'm onto something and that then led to me creating this image bias concept of of, of having these conversations and being aware of image and how we yes we don 't ever want to call ourselves uh, to call someone racist, but we have to acknowledge that all of us have biases with how we get dressed and, and we know that first impressions. Or can make or break someone, but a lot of that first impression comes from components of race.
0: There's so much in there to unpack.
1: Sorry, I said a lot there. Oh,
0: no, it's amazing! <laughs> like and, and and I just think so. I mean, so amazing that that woman was able to share that experience with you, and you were able to to notice the difference in her hair and and. I guess one thing, I, question I have, want to say is can you explain what the Crown Act is for anybody who doesn't know what that is? Yes.
1: Yeah, so right the Crown Act is uh, an acronym for creating a respectable, oh gosh, hold on. Let me, it's in my book. I'm going to read, I'm going to pull it up here so I can get it right um, because it is so
0: important. And we're going to put the link to the book in the show notes, by the way. And whenever you get a second Morgan, hold the book title, book, book cover up. So it is cool.
1: There there we go. Go. Oh, that's a great cover. Thank you. Okay, here it is. So the Crown Act stands for Create a Respectful and Open Workplace for Natural Hair Act, and um, this was an act that started in. Uh, it's only one. I think it's about thirty something states right now that have this legislation on the boards that essentially says that under the housing, education, and um, workplace situations fair housing act um and i'm not a lawyer so excuse me guys i'm fumbling this but you cannot be discriminated against because of your hair so i had the opportunity to actually interview professor wendy green who wrote a thesis that then started the this legislation and she told me that um while quote unquote people couldn't ever discriminate against race the hair aspect was something that companies were using to discriminate and there was there was laws in the past that allowed for that gray area to happen so the crown act is now abolishing that gray area and you cannot um, make limitations on how anyone chooses to wear their hair so i think and i talked about this a little bit um in the book where there's a greater conversation of if you think about how black women black people in 2020 in only about 30 states have the legal right or are protected to how, wear their hair however they want to wear it and not be discriminated against on the on the basis of education housing or employment opportunities
0: it's it's like shocking not shocking i guess shocking not shocking you know um but but for i I mean i'm always because i have i have listeners who are are black and who are white and who are many different races so of course like the black people who are listening are like yeah 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 we know that like that's our lived experience but for white people listening i always just kind of like to point these points out take these moments because we don't i mean yeah i can think about if my hair's curly or straight or if it's messy or something but I don't have to think, am I going to be discriminated against if my hair is frizzy or if my hair is like messy? I've, I have thought about what, like when I was just ending my medical career at the end of it, I wanted to dye my hair a little purple in the back. And I was like, Ooh, can I do that? Is that appropriate?" <laughs> That's as close as it gets. And that has nothing to do with discrimination. And so right. I, I, maybe women, but like barely. And so I just want people listening to understand this is huge. And this is another example of the emotional psychologic tax that Black people have to pay yeah. to exist.
1: And abs- I want to go back to just to refine what you said of when you said, sure. if I choose to wear my hair messy or not, and it's not necessarily, um, I think there's that language of like if someone, there's the, we've been conditioned to think that if a Black person wears their hair natural, how it grows out of their head, it's quote unquote messy. But like if if a white woman or white people just do nothing with their hair, that's not messy. This is not necessarily about, not taking care of yourself, but literally being able to wear your hair however you want to wear it, in a way that comes out of if you, if you choose to not do anything with your hair, you are still okay. I think that that's the the delineation. of some people say, well, if you're if you're black and and I will, I'll I'll give an example in my workshop, I show an image of a white man with um tousled bed head, longer curl, kind of loose curled a lot of hair on his head and then an image of black man with natural hair that's kind of a little bit kinked up and like what do you same length of hair but yeah. what are your views on on how this person is perceived and i got that i did because one of the black executives that were preparing for this workshop admitted that he wishes black men didn't wear their hair long or natural and he and he was aware of that own bias within him so it's we're our hair if we did nothing with our hair it's viewed as messy or or not kept but if a white person does the same thing then it's viewed as just natural or okay or carefree
0: yeah or 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 i just don't care you know like exactly yeah. like what you're saying and thank mm-hmm. you for, for pointing that out cuz that wasn't what what i had intended when it came out of my mouth but it landed in a different way and yeah. so i'm really curious. I know you
1: didn't mean that but i think that that's the
0: totally. that's the,
1: the crux of what and even black i get the, the reason this part is uh, ended up in the book was because I um I was presenting at a at a young woman's college, getting them ready for their interviews, and I ended up. This wasn't my proudest moment, but it kind of you know feels I'm thinking also about this book of this. I'm often asked by black women, is it okay for me to wear my hair natural? Or we've been taught, you know, like and then a, a young woman was like, I can't wear my hair in an afro, I won't get hired. And so we think those things, and this is about we conditioning our own minds. And there's nothing messy or ugly about what. God created for us.
0: Uh, that's, I love how you said that. I'm, I'm reading right now. Um, it's right next to me. The body is not an apology uh, by Sonia Renee Taylor. And if you have not read it, it's stunning. Like I'm, I'm only check it that the out. but it's, it's stunning. And it's all about radical self-love. And like, we, we are already our greatness and it's just getting caught, co- like covered up. We just need to uncover it. We don't need to aspire to it. We are already it. Um
1: I talk and, about that in the book quite a bit. Like yeah. that's the the framework for it. I I have to I start the book with that of like if you don't think that you are perfect or that you're just as you are and God didn't make any mistakes, and then no matter what I put you in and close, you're not gonna like it because mm-hmm. if you don't if you think that you're messed up, I, I can't fix that. That's an inside job that you have to fix. So I will definitely check that book out.
0: Yeah, it's 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 I've had it recommended to me by probably 20 different people. I've heard about it in 20 different I've heard her speak and um, and it's already kind of mind blowing. It's, it's not just about as yours is not, it's not just about, do I have, um, uh,
1: perky boobs or,
0: or I was, I was that, or like, uh, what's it called? The, the love handles, you know, like, right. or, or, you know, when there's the, the muffin top, like right. it's not, it goes, that's kind of like a starting point because we're all in bodies as she talks about, but, but it goes beyond, it, it talks about body size and body shaming and, and, and oh, it's, it's just really, really powerful. And it, it, it's quite spiritual. And I feel like the work you do is as well, it's a very much like existential acceptance of oneself, no matter what.
1: Yeah. Um, because that's part of my own journey. I couldn't, I couldn't dress myself or until I learned to like myself. And that's the work that I help women do in it. And it's sometimes, you know, it's, is it the chicken or the egg or vice versa? But um, I, I, I think that, both go hand in hand, the spirituality and the style, and, and you have to like and love yourself. Um, and that all then also comes back to race and image bias of, I, and I talk about this in the book and in my workshops of what I call a hero's journey, um, where oftentimes when I was interviewing these women, time and time again, I was interviewing like these, you know, uh, maybe like 40, 50 year old executives, and they tell me their journey of how they quote unquote, once they made it to the top, is when they would literally let their hair down naturally or figuratively, or they'd wear uh, things that they always wanted to wear because now they're the exec, but they regret not doing that sooner. And so the, the conversation that I have of this new hero's journey is by you um, bucking the trend or, or setting the standard and being a trailblazer and how you show up uh, unapologetically black, unapologetically a woman, you are then giving other per- people permission who come behind you to do the same thing. Um, because if if you're waiting for that certain title or that status or that moment to like yourself and to be yourself and to be authentic, you are then part of the bias uh, uh, perpetuating more of that bias.
0: That's, that's really profound. Um, and I think she gets at that in the book too. I feel like you two are, are, are very much, um, in, in different approaches saying the same thing. It's like, we can't, it spreads outward. You know, yeah. our self-love then affects how we judge other people and how we let them show up in the world and then, and then into communities into like the, the bigger world, but it has to start.
1: Yes. And vice versa. Right. So if you aren't confident in wearing your hair, if you feel like you have to blow dry your hair every morning as a white woman leader to go to work, then you're going to still perpetuate. I can't say that word, perpetuate those same biases or dislikes of other people so that, um, you know, I ask companies, or the conversation with these companies, which is why I'm excited to do these all of these workshops. Is it's one thing when you say you hire diverse talent, but are you really giving them the space to show up as diverse? If a woman has to wear a man's suit, if a if a if um a woman feels like she has to relax her hair or straighten her hair to get the job before she can then wear her hair natural, you're not you're not really honoring diversity or or really being inclusive.
0: Yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so do you do um do you work with it sounds like a couple of those some of those some organizations have hired you do you you give like whole workshops not just for the women there but for
1: for everyone it's been uh it's been really fascinating to have these conversations uh one of the earlier workshops I did was with an energy company and I was pretty nervous to be honest, cause I was like, Ooh, this is a really diverse crowd It's about, I think 75 people on a virtual, um, virtual workshop. And because it was an energy company, we had uh, linemen, as in the people who walk the lines on your energy field. And these were mostly old, older white guys. And then there was call center people and there was DE and I professionals. And it was just this really interesting mix. And, the white men, i learned a lot of, even they have something. Um, and I, as in one gentleman said, I feel, I've always felt like I had to cover my tattoos because if someone saw them, they'll think X, Y, and Z about me. Another young man at the center I'll never forget, um, said that he has, uh, he was moving up the ranks professionally really fast, but he has a nose ring. And he knew that he had to take, he felt like he had to take, even though it was appropriate, he said it was a small one, but I felt like I had to take it out every morning because people would perceive me as too young or however they, I didn't want them to think that about me. Another presumably presenting white man said that I'm actually half Lebanese and I don't want, I don't talk about that because if anyone didn't think that I was white, even though I present white, what would happen? So there's all of these, you know, what was the beauty of that conversation was that, because of the white patriarchy, even if you are a white man, you feel like you have to check some part of yourself at the door and can't be yourself. And of course, and I, and I talk about, there's the, what I call authentically appropriate. So this is not giving you permission to not be appropriate or to not, you know, honor a dress code or or, or respect the culture. But these little nuances are actually way more common than, than I was even thinking. I thought it was just a woman and a people of color thing, but it's not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really great way for everybody to see commonalities with each other and recognize, like, I don't understand exactly what you're going through, but I now can get a sense. Yes. If I have to worry about these two, my tattoo.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's a similar.
0: Like my micro level, then maybe I can understand now that I under, now that I've heard about it. Cause I've never had to think about it. Now maybe I can understand what it might Now be. I have something to put
1: about. into context with.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. So, what what advice? Like, what's your, I, I, you? Know, don't give us don't give us all your secrets. But, but what's your what's your? Because um, you mentioned culture, right? So, how how does one balance culture versus versus showing up authentically? And it's funny because when I, I have a a, a small um, nose piercing that I got probably the year before I left my medical job. And I was also afraid that it was going to cause a whole scene and literally no one noticed it. (laughs) Like almost disappointingly so. Only my medical people didn't notice it. People outside of medicine did, but it almost like didn't fit into their paradigm. So they literally- Or or their view of you, right? So it wouldn't even-
1: us their mind to even, you know, like, that can't be a nose ring. Like, Jill, never. The brain
0: right. couldn't perceive it on me because it's like, well, Jill is a doctor and this is what she does. Right. So, so, so it's very interesting. Actually the same, because I did end up doing the purple hair. You could tell I was like on my way out of medicine at that point. I didn't even know it. But, but like, um, how, how do you, so that was more of a, less of a woman thing and more of a culture thing, right. a, a doctor expectation thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what, what, how do you balance
1: that? How do you, um, so I have, uh, in my workshops, I have, uh, and with all the clients that I do, I have a quiz that I give, and it's part asking us about, it's a personality quiz that first half is about, uh, what do you want to be known for? Like, what, it, who are you, and what do you want people to say about you, and then what will your audience value of you? Like, what are they expecting of you, and how do you then mirror the two? So, if, um, it's one thing to, and this goes to to my work as an image consultant and executive presence is everyone's goal with communication and and your image as part of communicating is to communicate in a way that your audience can understand, right? So if I, as this wardrobe stylist, put you in clothes that, or you and your, if if you get dressed every morning, authentically who you are and are just all like, just show up however you, what makes, works for you, but your audience can't, connect with you, whoever that audience is, is, and then your, your communication isn't effective. So it has to be, for me, a 50-50 split. And it goes down to, and I, in, in every, the question that I will challenge the listeners here is, what do you want to be known for? And that really is, when you, when you boil that down, what do you want your audience to know you for? And are you okay with the consequences of such? So when I work with college students, I tell the, the the colleges like, look, I'm not here to tell your kids to wear a black suit. That's not my job here. Um, I'm just making them aware of whatever you choose to do or how you present yourself. If you are okay with being the, if you are going to finance and you want to have the purple hair, great, here's some possible consequences. But if your audience in finance are people, other people who wear purple hair or in creative industries, you could make a lot of money being the financial planner for creatives. Like the, again, it goes back to your audience. So that's all of the basis of my work is giving people permission to be themselves, but being aware of what those messages send for the audience that they're trying to connect with. So that was a long answer, but I, I hope that okay. that makes sense.
0: It does. I'm like writing down all your quotes because you're so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, permission to be themselves and like being aware of the consequences. That's a, that's a really nice balance. Cause yeah, I could show up like in a bikini and like cowboy boots or something. Mm-hmm. Not that that's actually what I would wanna do. And I can do that all day long, but like, is anyone gonna want to learn to meditate? Right, <laughs> right. The doctor who wears a bikini and cowboy boots all the time. And this is like, I've, now that example is just super weird, but I love it. Cause it's like, you do wanna be authentic, but also.
1: Appropriate, appropriate. authentically appropriate.
0: Yeah. Hi there, Dr. Jill Wiener here. This podcast is sponsored by Conscious Anti-Racism, my online course with Dr. Maisha Claiborne, created for listeners like you who are eager to learn practical tools that will help you find your place in the fight against systemic racism. We even have a CME accredited version for healthcare professionals. Visit ConsciousAntiracism.com for more information. Now back to the episode. And then, and then there's that fine line of what's, what's appropriate. Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. that's the that's the part also and
1: that's what we're hoping i am helping i hope my work is opening up the 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 very tiny box of what appropriate has been defined by which is usually whiteness skinniness and i you know in some industries maleness right like the i want in the book i was interviewing a woman named terry who was a long-standing exec in the auto industry and she told me when she first started they had to buy um she's terry is four foot maybe like eight she's tiny and she would buy suits from the boys department or like or the women's suits were like the kind of like the 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 small version of of men's suits and i asked her i was like well terry like well what did the women in leadership wear and she's like morgan there were no women in leadership and so like even if you think about what executive presence meant or what appropriate meant it meant dressing like a man and that 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 um, sentiment is still very present in a lot of companies or a lot of cultures still. Um, And so, yeah, I'm excited and passionate about opening, busting open that, what appropriate really means and uncovering why we think the things that we think are appropriate.
0: I'm just now thinking about the, the like sigh of relief that your clients must feel. Like so many wonderful things after working with you, but like- Thanks how does it affect their mental health to just be able to show up as themselves and to like have the confidence to do that? What What are some of the ways? At
1: first it's nerve wracking. At first, a lot of times people will like in workshops or with individuals, they will fight me at first and say, no, I could never, um, no, I could never No, You don't understand. I'm like, you know, just trust me a little. Again, it's never, it's never crazy. Like I'm, I'm not that cool, so I'm not gonna like put you in a bikini and cowboy boots, right, to go to work. Um, but there is that level of like resistance to what you've always known, sure. and then there is the um, and a lot of that isn't also fear and like the like I'll, I'll get texts the next like the first Monday after I've worked with the client, like, oh, ah, can I really wear this this morning? And I'm like, yes, like do it. And then there's the um, the the I don't know, the fear, the nervousness, and then there's like a whoo, like okay. Yeah. I got the compliments or I'm feeling really good and this becomes the norm, but it's sometimes it's not that instant sigh of relief. And even sometimes, even with some clients, um, there still is the learning to trust yourself, right? Learning. You've, you've, you've checked that part of yourself for that creative element or who even you, you don't even know who you are in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, so finding that person through clothes and wardrobe can be scary and exhilarating all at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I bet it's just the beginning for a lot of people.
1: It is. It is. Um, and it was for me. Like that's me redefining or figuring out what worked for my body, accepting my body, redefining my style. That then let was all happening at the same time that I was learning to meditate and that I was looking at the way I wanted to live differently, and how you present to the world should be a reflection. So within, so without. That's what my church teaches and all of that. So whatever's happening within you should be reflected accurately with what's happening outside of you. And as you grow and evolve, so should your style and so should the way that you want the world to see you.
0: Yeah. I love that. What, what was
1: so within, so without
0: for, for you, like what was your process of, of finding yourself? And, and did you used to wear your hair, not natural? Like how, how, what, what made you cause your hair is stunning and you are stunning Thanks for anyone, Thanks. For Thank anyone you. not seeing the, the video version, listening to the podcast, when I first met Morgan, I was like I, before I knew you were a stylist, I was like, wow. Aw, like, <laughs> such an energy and such a beautiful like spirit that you that you that Thank comes you. from you physically but is also physical. Um, what was that process like for you?
1: You know, the the hair thing for me wasn't um it wasn't as loaded as other women. I'll be honest. Uh it happened out of college because I was uh, I did relax my hair and I to be honest, I just I had an aunt who was doing it for me for free who I went to school at Georgetown in DC and I had an aunt who lived in Maryland and she would, you know, do my, she was a hairstylist and she would do it for free for me but I senior year I just got too busy to go visit her so I just stopped going to see how this process would happen and then this is how I um, became natural and I've worked in most of my career has been in creative industry so I didn't necessarily, I was, I was almost too Ignorant and blind, and I wasn't in those more conservative industries to really experience that that hair dynamic. Um, but my style journey was for me growing up in Minnesota, being the only black girl, the tallest black girl, the black girl that um, the girl period that has hips and butt faster than anybody. So I spent most of my up until early 20s hiding in baggy, dark black gray clothes. I didn't want any extra attention on me, and I was also I prided myself on being the smart one. I was taught to my family to be the smart girl. So I thought that pretty and smart couldn't exist. So all of the, I'm trying to hide my body. I don't want any attention on my body. I don't want any additional attention on me because I'm already the black girl. And I don't want you to see me and think that I'm not smart because in my mind, I don't think those two can mutually exist. All of that led to me hiding and playing very small in my image and my wardrobe. And I wasn't, as I spent those 10 years in corporate retail, right? So I'm like making fashion, quote unquote fashion decisions. I say retail because the brands that I work with are mainstream brands. So I'm not, this is not Devil War's Prada, but there's, I loved clothes. I didn't feel confident enough to wear the clothes that I loved. I would keep them in my closet and, and, and maybe wear them out maybe. But then, then there was the element of like, do I want men looking at me? Like all of these, all of these things happen. And it wasn't until I, I, I got clear on myself and my life and that whole spiritual journey that I mentioned that I felt worthy of the attention. I felt worthy of being seen. I felt, um, I also, you know, yes, happens I'm an image consultant. So my look is important to my credibility in some ways, but I also had to get comfortable being the face of a business, the face of a brand, you know, like yeah. if I, if people don't notice me in the room then I don't eat. And so all of that transformation, um, is how I ended up writing the book, but what feels the work that I do and the way that I connect with my clients.
0: I love that. I love that. And it's so, it's so interesting. It's almost, I'm I'm like, without trying to make this about myself too much, like I was the doctor and then I became the meditation teacher. So you were the like girl who wore baggy clothes and then Mm -hmm. you became like the person who, intentionally draws attention to yourself as is well-deserved so it's it's just interesting to see how we've kind of both
1: yeah the teacher is always the student first yeah um, and and i'm very deliberate and i think you know you find your tribe that way right so like i'm sure you jill your tribe is very different now than your who your tribe was when you were in med, med school and so mm-hmm. the people that i love to work with are on that same journey in some way shape or form that i've been on
0: yeah so um what comes next for you? What, where are you? What, what's uh, on the horizon for Morgan?
1: Oh, that's such a tricky question. I'm I'm figuring I'm figuring it out. There's so many. Uh, I'm I'm taking. I want to expand this message of the Worthy Wardrobe. So there will be an Audible book, Audible version of the book that's coming out. Uh, I'm working on some video content around that. Uh, I still am very very passionate about workshops with corporations and, and really going deep into that culture and, and changing the way people dress now that we're going back into offices um, and, and what that looks like for people literally and, and figuratively. Uh, those, are, those are the, the big things is, is creating more content and influence in this space of, of image and worthiness and style and, and helping people just when you look better and you feel better and just you do better.
0: I think I think that like corporations really want this advice. Cuz I, I hope so. <laughs> most of them actually do want to make their workplaces more diverse and if they haven't actually done the work within the, their own selves to figure out what that means and it, that it's not just about hiring black people but that it's about creating a culture they want to know like oh okay so the hair oh okay mm-hmm. so like Red pants are cool, you know, yes. and like, like, whatever. Yeah. I, mean, I know there aren't, you weren't saying that specifically. No, but,
1: but I get it. Right. Yep. Yep.
0: They yep. want, and these are very implementable things for, for people to understand white people, you know, mm-hmm. but I, it sounds, I mean, there's a lot of internalized stuff with, with black people from what you're saying as well, but for, for the, for if, if the people in charge of the culture are white. I think they will want to be like drinking this knowledge up.
1: Like the red pants story. So um, the, the client that told me that she told her boss that day, she, she ended, she was a client of mine. So she told me um, after she wore them, she said, you know, Morgan, I heard you in my head and I just said, okay, forget it. I'm going to pack these red pants. And I wore them that day. And my boss, a white woman said, I love your red pants. And this client whom I absolutely, absolutely adore. She's so candid and she told her boss, like, to be honest, I was going in between whether I should pack them in, until I didn't want to be the black girl in the red pants. And her boss was like, wow, like I've never had to think about that. So like yeah. she, her boss appreciated that moment and that candor to see what her or her, what what my client was going through. So yes, um, it, it goes back to awareness and really how racism can be exhausting and how it can influence decisions like red pants. Literally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah. And so I think starting on, on this level um, is, is, it's a very, it's, it's fun and it's accessible, but it goes really deep, you know? I call it a
1: gateway drug. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> like, it is, it's a gateway drug into the deeper work that, you know, other true DE&I professionals can do, but it's, you know, I can, and even with my, with my book and like my work that I do, it's kind of like a bait and switch where I can like get you in. Cause we're just quote unquote talking about clothes. Mm-hmm. But then once I have you in, we can really talk about the real layers and the deep stuff that goes beyond. And then that hopefully opens up for you to, now that you're aware of just one example of image and how race influences those things. Let's do the, 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 the other work that comes from a lot of other professionals like you.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, well, it all certainly is um, symbiotic. Is that the word? Mutually beneficial. Yes. There's so so much. Unfortunately, there's so much to be done. But there's also, I think, now a time where people actually care.
1: Totally. They
0: want to be perceived as caring. And that's the gateway, too. You know, like, I want to be a cool, hip employer. So fine, I'll take this course or ha- have this workshop, and then maybe they're, you know, actually gonna.
1: Yeah, speaking of cool and hip, a couple of years ago, before the image bias workshops came, a um, I was I was courting the business of some a big big tech company, big tech company, and um, the head of D and I, she uh, was like, I want to get you in, but you know, my bosses are saying, oh, you know, people can wear whatever here doesn't matter. I mean, when you talk about clothes. But somehow, um, God bless this woman, she, she fought for me and we, I, I was able to do workshops in two of their headquarters. And long, but mostly it was in tech engineers, mostly um, white men, Asian women, Asian, white men, Indian men, Asian women, and white women were in the room. And the line to talk to me with individuals was out the door and it was mostly these white men. And the conversations were around, I want to be seen as a leader, but I don't know how to do this when everybody's wearing pajamas. And like, so even again, like this whole concept of some cool companies that are like, oh, we can wear whatever we're all inclusive or but there's, there's no dress code. There's none of that. This, these questions or these dynamics or these, um, issues of image still come up with their employees because they know that they're not being seen as executives, but they don't also want to be the outlier who shows up in a, in a suit. Right. So like, how do you balance how you want to be seen and, and what the culture is? Oh, wow.
0: That's so interesting. interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked
1: by that. I was shocked. Yeah. But genuine questions. And I was getting that all of the time. Like, what do I do when everyone's wearing a hoodie?
0: Right what do you do when everyone's wearing like jammies on the bottom now on zoom, you know, (laughs) we're going to go back into a workplace where people actually have to see our full bodies.
1: Put on pants and you may have to, you know, and and for those listening, if you're, you know, if your clothes do not fit, or if your pants don't fit, be nice to yourself, right? Like (laughs) your body survived a pandemic and that's if your pants not fitting should be the least of your worries, go buy yourself some pants or for women wear dresses that are more forgiving and, and um and show up to work you know i think i think i was thinking about um i heard somewhere the roaring 20s it was this glamorous time because the decade before there was the plague and all of these things so i think there's going to be this push to you know even for me like now that the atlanta's opening up a little bit i used to not really wear high heels for fun but now every time i'm going out like i'm in a heel and i think there's that i think i hope that some of us and most of us will get sick of the sweatpants and the, and all of that to start showing, want to enter the world back new.
0: I love that. And what you said about, about, they'll be mad at yourself if your pants are a little tight because that, that so resonated. We went, uh, my partner and I went out for dinner uh, and he's wonderful. He's like, supportive of me no matter how I look but I like put on this dress and I haven't put it on easily in two years and I was like oh okay but like I could still do it up and it was still wearable it was just like tighter than I remember it being and I was like I'm wearing it anyway because because but that that took I had to be conscious about that so so I'm I'm, I'm feeling grateful for that bit of advice um because yes we did are these bodies got us through mm-hmm. they survived and, and we can be grateful for that yeah. Um, all right. Well, Morgan, how do people find you? I know I'm going to put all this stuff in the show notes, but, um, but
1: you can find me on my website, morganwhiter.com. You can find me on Instagram at Morgan Style. Um, those are the best two ways to find me.
0: Okay. Um, and is widerstyle.com? Is that still,
1: that's still option too. That's more on the styling business, but you okay. can learn, um, if you want to have me virtually help you find pants that fit, you can learn more about that at widerstyle. style, but Morgan wider is the hub that will take you to all things. Morgan.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank and you,
1: you can get the book, the worthy wardrobe on amazon.com.
0: Perfect. Okay. Well, we will put the link, um, uh, link to that as well um on the show notes so everybody can check that out. And um thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and for all the work you're doing, really pioneering in this space. And um the impact that you're having is is exponential. And Mm -hmm. and I think it's um lots of great stuff coming for
1: you. Well ditto to you, Dr. Jill. Thank you for sharing your platform with me and, and and letting a wardrobe stylist come and talk about race, but also thank you for the work that you're doing of of changing the narrative for, not only just medical professionals, but for all of us and what anti-racist really means. And so thank you for, for being the non-Black person doing the work. I, I'm not ready, to, you know, I'm not ready to call you white, but not a non-Black person.
0: <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say two things, three things. A, thank you. B, I there are other non-Black people. So I don't want to pretend, I, 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 I hold space for that, but there are lots of other people and see this is hilarious for anyone listening we have last time we, we we chatted she was like I just don't see you as white and I'm like I'm pretty white and she's like I just don't see you as white so anyway um, I, accept all of, I accept all of it <laughs> I, I accept all of it and I'm happy um, that we can um, now, now we're going to start saying that we don't see color morgan <laughs> For anyone listening, don't ever say that. That's not the right thing to say. Don't ever say that. Um, but <laughs> it's beautiful that there are aspects of ourselves that we can appreciate and, um, and amplify ourselves and other people. So thank you, Morgan, again, for your, for your, your beauty in all ways oh, and it. your brilliance. And um, till next time. Bye-bye. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.